Galatians chapter 2, this morning, verses 15 through 21. Uh, We are spending uh, several weeks together in these verses. And last Sunday, I said that the Christian life is understood in relationship to our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, particularly in verse 20, Paul describes for us the Christian life in relationship to the Lord Jesus using three prepositions. Uh, Christ for us, we looked at last week, the very, very foundation of the Christian life. Not what I have done, but what Christ has done for me. And uh, today, crucified with Christ is our subject. And then, Lord willing, next week, Christ in me. So Christ for me, crucified with Christ, Christ in me. These are the issues that we are thinking about together these three weeks. Well, before uh, I read our passage, let's pray and ask once again for God's blessing upon the reading and preaching of his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word and then in a few moments turn to the table of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that you would spread before us by word and by sign the riches of your grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, teach us by your spirit and nourish us in Jesus Christ. And it's all for Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through verse 21. Let's hear God's word. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. You remember the context of these verses. Peter was a Jew converted to Christianity, and Peter was uh, raised as a Jew to not eat certain foods, uh, shellfish and pork chops and bacon and those sorts of things. Uh, But in Antioch, uh, Peter had been enjoying gospel liberty and gospel fellowship. He had come to understand that the gospel uh, freed him from the ceremonial laws which kept him from eating with his Gentile brothers and sisters. That is until representatives of the circumcision party from down in Jerusalem came up to the church in Antioch, and then out of fear, Peter removed himself. Peter stopped eating Gentile foods, and Peter, along with Barnabas and the rest of the Jewish contingent in the Antioch church, 
cut themselves off from fellowship with their Gentile fellow believers. Imagine that. Imagine that division now set out clearly between Jew and Gentile in the church of Jesus Christ. And the reality is that which the gospel tore down was being rebuilt. And Paul, Paul saw Peter's actions and he saw right through it as a fundamental denial of the gospel. Because in effect, Peter's actions and the actions of others with him said in order to be right with God and therefore in order to be fully recognized in the church of Jesus Christ, you need to observe some of the ceremonial markers, circumcision and food laws and so forth. And so Paul confronted him to his face in front of everyone. Can you imagine what that mess must have been like? Apostle facing up against a fellow apostle. But again, remember, Paul and Peter were agreed on the gospel message. They shook hands in Jerusalem over it. Well, the issue here is that while they were agreed on the gospel, Peter was by his actions living out of step with that very gospel. And it's in that context, Paul gives us this, this glorious description of the Christian life by, by talking about himself. But he's not just talking about himself, he's talking about himself as a, as a Christian, as a, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, what Paul says about himself in these verses is, is equally true of, of you if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are three statements that Paul makes in this passage that I want to try to unpack together uh, this morning. And the first statement is there in verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. And then back in verse 19, he says, I died to the law. Through the law, I died to the law. And then he goes on to say, I live to God. Through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. He talks about, about the life he now lives. So I've been crucified with Christ. I died to the law. I live to God. Those are the three things we want to try to understand together today. So first of all, I have been crucified with Christ. We look at scripture, we've got to say at least four things were nailed to the cross of Calvary. First thing, of course, is Jesus himself. Uh, Roman soldiers took our Lord Jesus and uh, through his hands and feet, nailed him to that cursed cross. And then they hoisted that cross up and they left him uh, to die there. And he died when, when his heart stopped beating, when the brain waves stopped going. The Roman soldier took the spear and thrust it into his side and out came blood and water. The, the Son of God incarnate. Blessed Lord Jesus was nailed to a cross until he died. The second thing nailed to a cross was a public announcement. You know the announcement uh, that was in the common languages of the day, Hebrew, Aramaic, and, and Latin. Uh, Jesus, King of the Jews. And then according to Colossians chapter 2, uh, the third thing nailed to the cross was a record of debt that stood against us. 
right? A debt that we owed. A list of accusations that stood against us because of all of our failings and shortcomings. It was, it was like a massive IOU. We, we owe God allegiance. We owe God worship. We owe God love. And we have failed in every respect. And Paul says in Colossians 2 that God took that list of accusations, that record of debt that stood against us, and he nailed it to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's three things that were nailed to the cross. So what's the fourth? And I think here's the surprising thing this verse has to say to us. That in some sense, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you were nailed to that cross. I have been crucified with Christ. What on earth does that mean? Well, I think to to understand what the Apostle Paul is saying, we we need to look really closely at the words that he uses for for a moment together. Um, Maybe some of you can remember back to your grammar school days and uh, maybe maybe compelled is the right word, being compelled to parse (laughs) sentences and, uh, and words. I don't know about you, but I loathed it and I was terrible at it. But uh, I'm glad I had a teacher who forced me to do it because I I think that uh, parsing what Paul says in these verses is really fundamental to to understanding the depths of God's grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we want to, to parse this phrase, I have been crucified with Christ. In Greek, it's just two words. The word for Christ and then the verb that's translated, I have been crucified with. Let's try to understand that. But first, before we do that, let me just give us a couple of reminders that I'm sure we all learned in grammar school. Uh, You remember that verbs have a tense, past, present, future. Verbs have voices. They are either active or passive. And verbs have moods. They are either indicative, that is statements of fact, or they are imperatives that are command, telling us to do something. So let's parse this verb here together. First of all, it's in what is known as the perfect tense. That means it is something that has already happened. It is not a present experience in the life of the Christian, nor is it something that is yet to take place in the life of the believer. It's not that I am being crucified or one day I will be crucified. It's something that is already true. I have been crucified. As a Christian, you have the status of one who has been crucified with Christ. You have died, but now you live. Secondly, the verb is passive in voice. If it were active, it would be translated, I crucified. Or in the present, I am crucifying. But but this isn't something that Paul did, you see. This is something that was done to Paul. I have been crucified. Now, that's important to recognize because in other parts of Scripture, Paul will speak of believers crucifying their their sinful flesh with its passions and desires. But it's so, so important you see here. That is not what Paul is talking about here. He's not saying he acted. He's saying 
He was acted upon. It's something that has been done to us if we are in Christ. And then thirdly, the mood is indicative. That is, it's a statement of fact. It's not a command to crucify yourself. It's not something you're being called to do. It's something that's already true if you belong to Jesus Christ by faith. You have been crucified. Again, elsewhere in Scripture, Paul does speak about putting sin to death. He does say, I die daily for the sake of the gospel. He does, uh, well, Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. Those are all things that as Christians we are called to do. Right? Those, those, are, those are commands we're called to, to follow out. But this here isn't talking about any of those things. This isn't something you do. It's something that if you are in Christ has already happened, has been done to you, and is a gospel reality that now defines your entire life. You are among the walking dead, if I can put it that way. It sounds kind of scary to put it that way. But the believer has died in Christ. And the believer has been raised with Christ. And this truth of having been crucified with Christ, it it rests upon the central reality of salvation. Union with the Lord Jesus Christ. The predominant way the New Testament talks about believers is in, in these terms. Believers are in Christ. I suppose if we were to take a survey, the predominant way we talk about ourselves today is is we're Christians. And that's fine. That's a fine way to identify ourselves. But actually in the New Testament, that only occurs twice. The language of being in Christ or with Christ and all that other language that goes along with it occurs uh, something like at least 160 times. In Christ Jesus. And And so the the predominant way the New Testament tells us to think about ourselves as Christians is by faith we are those who are united or, or joined to Jesus Christ. And the way anyone becomes united to Jesus Christ is by faith. Uh, here in uh, Galatians 2, 16, Paul has this statement, we also have believed in Christ Jesus. You know, once you put your faith in Christ, your union with him becomes a spiritual reality. Luther put it this way, when you believe in Christ, you are cemented to Christ. Right? That's how firm this bond, this faith union is. But actually, you know, the language of believing in Christ, this is true of Galatians 2.16, where Paul says, we also have believed in Christ. The language is literally believed into Jesus Christ. Scholars have have gone and looked at contemporary literature during the time of the apostles, and it's been noted that this was a completely unknown way of speaking, using this word in this way. You don't believe into someone, right? Paul 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 is stretching the limits of of, uh, of the language to try to describe a reality. We believe, and when we put our faith and, tr- uh, and trust in Christ, we believe right into the Lord Jesus Christ. We are, we are bound to him by spirit-worked faith. 
And Paul is helping us to see here, once you get into Christ by faith, you are then identified with him in his death and resurrection. His story becomes your story. His life becomes your life. And that means the old you, the one who was born into the world, guilty and corrupt, uh, the one called the old man, the one who has been who has so utterly failed to keep the law of God, that person no longer lives, Paul is saying. I have been crucified with Christ, and the new life I now live, I live with Christ. Christ in me. And so in union with Christ, I've been crucified with Christ, and I've been raised with Christ. I now live with Christ. So what What is our fundamental identity, right? The question of our day. What is it? It's who am I? Who am I? What's my fundamental identity? That is the question that people around us are asking today. This age of anxiety and and confusion, people are trying to answer that question. And you know what the message is that people are hearing? The message that people are hearing is that you determine your own identity, Right? You, you forge your own identity. Your identity is self-made. And, uh, well, to quote an authority on this, and this is, I think, going to be the only time I ever quote Princess Elsa. So, uh, you know, here it is from Frozen. I think Princess Elsa summarizes the spirit of our age pretty well. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. You can finish it. Let it go. Let it go. Okay. Some of you know that song. Okay. Well, uh, here's another illustration. It's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure book. We were talking about this in Sunday school not too long ago. Remember, remember those books where they let you, as the reader, make choices about the direction of the story? They put you in control of the narrative And, uh, you know, here's where we are today. We live in a culture where the narrative is choose your own identity. Uh, You're in control of your story. You're free to choose your own identity. No rules, no limits, no boundaries. Break through and find yourself. You know, with this choose your own identity mindset, no rules, no boundaries, no limits, everyone's trying to figure out who they are. Some of us perhaps have looked to our, our abilities or our talents in order to find our identity. Perhaps it's in the arts or, or in sports. Right? Their, their identity their, is, is, is connected to their ability to do something. Right? We've seen this with professional athletes when they've you know, suffered some, some kind of major injury. It's, there's a personal crisis. Right? It's as though their, their life has fallen apart because their identity was so wrapped up with their abilities as as an athlete. Others might define their identity with their work, right? It's their profession that gives them meaning and purpose in life. So they devote their, their life, their time, their energies to their profession, and their identity is wrapped up in their job. Others seek their identity in their sexual orientation, Right? Who, who I'm attracted to, whether it's right or wrong, is what makes me me. 
sexual orientation is fundamental to my personal identity. That's an idea out there today. Another one that's there is uh, identity is tied to a person's gender identity. And maybe that category is unfamiliar to some of you. There's you know, biological gender, male, female, maleness, according to our biological makeup. But now there's also this idea of gender identity, whether we feel male, female, or, or something in between. So you, know, you, can go on, you can go on Facebook today, and I, don't, I didn't check what the number is, but I think it's somewhere in the 60s. As you're filling out your personal profile, you can now choose from something like 60 gender identities. Male, I can, I can name, I don't know, four or five, and then that's it for me. Uh, male, female, bigender, intersex, uh, gender neutral, gender fluid, gender non-conforming, and, and on and on it goes. Others simply try to find their identity in sex and, uh, and, and simply uh, being desired by someone. Right? As long as someone has a desire for me, as long as someone shows affection for me, then my life has meaning and purpose. Uh, others define their identity primarily along the lines of political affiliations, political policies, social causes, and you see, we could go on and on and on here because in this age of no boundaries, no limits, no rules, the possibilities for forging your own identity are, are vast. But frankly, it's exhausting, isn't it? It's exhausting. I mean, it's no wonder, it's no wonder that in our present age that anxiety and depression are skyrocketing. Just a few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Dave and I had dinner with, or lunch with a college president. And uh, during our conversation, we asked him, you know, what, what, how can we be praying for you? What are some challenges you're facing on the campus? And he said, you know, one of the things we're facing as faculty in a way that we've never seen before is the occurrence of anxiety and depression uh, in our students. It's a, it's a crisis on college campuses. And frankly, it's, it's no wonder, it's no wonder that this is happening because we're telling young people to figure out who they are when they have no ground to stand upon. They have nothing to reference. There are no rules, no boundaries. Now go and figure it out and follow your feelings and see where that gets you. But it's not just, it's not just the stress of trying to work out who you are in an already confused culture that's causing anxiety and depression. It's also because all of these attempts to forge one's own identity fail to give any satisfying or livable answer to who I am and to who you are. You see, the message today that is loud and clear, it's even in our children's books and children's movies, the message is choose your own identity. No rules, follow your feelings. And brothers and sisters, lives are being destroyed by that message. Lives are literally being destroyed by that lie. So what's the message? What is the counter message of the Christian faith? What does the gospel say about identity? I'm a man in Christ. I am a, I am a woman in Christ. It's no longer about me. It's about me in Christ now. That's who I am. 
I am no longer what I was. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer about my self-centered attempts to form my own identity. It's now about me in union with the Son of God. My identity isn't found in my own personal preferences, my own affiliations, my own feelings. It's found outside of myself in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel message says to us, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, my old self, my old humanity has been crucified. I belong to the new humanity that is in union with Jesus Christ. And so the gospel says, and what a relief this is, you don't have to discover, craft, create, or invent your own identity. It's found outside of yourself in Christ Jesus. So who are you? Here's what I want you to hear today. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, your identity is no longer a self-made expression of all of the ways that sin distorts you. That, doesn't, that, that is not your fundamental identity. Your fundamental identity is in Jesus Christ. So you're no longer a construct of your own preferences, accomplishments, or affiliations. You're in Christ, and that changes everything. Because if you're in Christ, the gospel says to you, you are accepted, you are loved, you are adopted, you are a new creation who now by the Spirit is being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. But Paul says something else here. I want us to, a couple more things I want us to look at in verse, uh, verse 19. So let's back up to that verse. For through the law I died to the law. That's the second thing we're looking at. And Paul says something similar to that in Romans chapter 7. Verse 4, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law. Now, Paul is not talking here merely about the ceremonial aspects of the law. He's not limiting himself to you know, circumcision and food laws. He's talking here about the law of God as a whole, including its, its moral aspects, which are summarized in the Ten Commandments. And Paul is saying, I died to the law. And he's saying there in Romans chapter 7, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you also have died to the law. Now, remember the context here, because it's important. Paul is dealing with justification, how one is accepted with God, how one has right standing with God, how one is counted to be in the right in God's presence. So he's not talking about the role of the law in the Christian life. Uh, he's not ruling out the role of the law for Christian believers. Okay, that's important to see. So by dying to the law, Paul is not ruling out the necessity of obedience in the Christian life. All right, but that leaves us with this question. What sense then do Christians die to the law, at least here in Galatians chapter 2? I think what Paul is saying here, we, we die to the law as a means of getting right with God. We die to the law as a means of justification. We die to the law as a way of earning our acceptance with God, as, as a means of righteousness before God. Remember what the law says to you. Do this and live. Right? Keep the commandments and you'll live, but fail even for the smallest infraction and you will perish. 
Right? The law knows no mercy. The law uh, doesn't offer second chances. It doesn't offer forgiveness. The slightest transgression of the law of God brings condemnation and curse. So that really leaves us, I think, with two options. Option one, which Paul will deal with more in Galatians, is this. Keep the whole law of God. And if you're going to opt for option one, you need to keep the whole law of God personally, perfectly, and perpetually. But the problem is, what does the New Testament make abundantly clear? The problem is, as sons and daughters of Adam, not a single one of us here in this room or a single one living on this globe can perfectly keep the law of God. Romans chapter 3 verse 20 says, For by works of the law, no human being, right? you can't get more general or universal than that, no human being will be justified in God's sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And so that puts us in a pretty bad place. We, we desperately need another option. And the option here in Galatians is die to the law. Die to the law as a way of getting right with God. That you see that the law exposes your sin, that the law condemns you, and through the law, with your sin exposed, you die to the law as a way of getting right with God. You give up on trying to keep the law as a way of being counted righteous in God's sight. And so the gospel says, which is really option two, the gospel says, I am accepted by God apart from works. To be more clear about that, I'm accepted by God apart from my works. My, wor- my works cannot contribute at all to my acceptance with God. Right? There's n- my friends, there's nothing, nothing more important for you to understand than that truth. If you don't understand that truth, you don't understand the gospel. And if you are living out of step with that truth, you're living out of step with the gospel. Obedience cannot save you. We translate what this is saying to us. Morality cannot save you. Being religious cannot save you. Outward behavior and external conformity to a pattern of life cannot save you. Actually, if it were possible for us to contribute the slightest bit, right? The most microcosmic work. If we could just contribute a little bit to our right standing before God. What does Paul say in verse 21? He says Jesus Christ died in vain. Jesus Christ died without purpose. We looked at that verse a couple of weeks ago. But check it out again. If righteousness were through the law. Then Christ died for no purpose. In other words. If any of us could get righteousness by keeping the law. If I could be justified through the law. Then the death of Christ on the cross is without meaning. It's purposeless. It's void. You see, that's an all or nothing statement from Paul, isn't it? If, if your works could contribute to your acceptance with God, then Jesus died in vain. That's what Paul is saying. And you need to translate that. Translate that into perhaps a more vernacular way of speaking. Being a moral person without faith in Jesus, all it gives you is death. Being a religious person without Jesus, all it gives you is death. And so Paul said, I died to the law. I died to trying to be right with God by keeping the law. But then thirdly, he goes on to say, 
I died to the law so that I might live to God. I live to God. Uh, there has been a change in Paul's life. He, he died to the law. He's been crucified with Christ, but he lives. There's been a resurrection. There's new life for the Apostle Paul to live. A life lived to God. Remember, uh, remember Augustine from uh, the early church, the great theologian in the early church. Uh, there's a story about Augustine. Well, as a little bit of background, uh, Augustine was basically a, a sex addict. Right? And uh, so he slept around. Uh, one day he's walking down a street and runs into one of his former mistresses, uh, a girl that he had been with. And, uh, you know, she said to him, uh, you know, hey, Augustine, how are you? Right? And uh, as the story goes, he was, he was polite, uh, friendly, I'm good, how are you, nice to see you. Uh, and he moved on, you know, and she was taken aback by this. It wasn't, you know, not the kind of slobbering that she was used to. <laughs> so she, she thought, maybe he mistook me for, for somebody else. So she went after him and she said, uh, Augustine, it is I. And Augustine turned to her and said, I know, but it's no longer I. Now, do you, do you see what Augustine was saying there? It's profound. Augustine encounters an old temptation, an old vice uh, that wreaked havoc in his life. And he doesn't deal with it by simply saying, you know, mustering up the strength, saying, no, 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 I can't do that anymore. Instead, what does he say? He said, that's, that's not who I am anymore. That life is dead. That me has been crucified. I am a new man in Jesus Christ. I now live in Christ, and the life I now live, I live to God. And so these verses, they describe how someone united by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ lives. Paul died, and now he lives to God. He lives for God. And think about this. The implication of that, this is striking. The implication of that is before Paul trusted in Christ, he never really lived for God. You ever think about that? Paul the apostle, formerly uh, the Pharisee, he was very religious. He was very zealous. He was very strict about keeping uh, the law of God. But the reality is Paul never really lived for God. And you notice as well that in union with Jesus Christ, and in the gospel, Paul's motivation and our motivation has been revolutionized. Paul used to live uh, by the law because why? Because he wanted to earn or at least maintain acceptance with God. Now in Christ, accepted in Christ, crucified with Christ, alive in Christ, he obeys why? One of the motivations listed in this passage is he obeys because he is loved. He is loved. You know, the Bible gives us all kinds of motivations for living the Christian life. But here is a fundamental one that we claim with the Apostle Paul. I am loved. Loved by God the Father, loved by God the Son, loved by the Holy Spirit. And so the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We need to connect 
what we looked at last week with what we're looking at today. Paul and you and I now live for an entirely different reason. See, the motive fueling a life lived to God, one of the motives is love. Love, undeserved, unmerited love shown to us is the foundational motive of living the Christian life. The, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me as my, as my substitute who pair in my, in my place condemned he stood. He took my sin and my guilt and he carried it to the cross and in my place he hung on Calvary's cross. He gave himself to the curse of the cross because he loves me. And when we see that, my friends, when you see that, there, there is a life to live, isn't there? There's a life to live. Free from condemnation, free from trying to earn God's acceptance, secure in the love of God. I now live to God. I'm dead to the law, crucified with Christ. So let me ask you as we approach the Lord's table here in just a moment. Very basic question. Do, do you... Do you know what Paul is talking about? I'll just put it that way. Do you understand? And I mean this experientially. Do you know this reality for yourself? Can you say with him, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm dead to the law. Through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Is that your confession? See, this passage, I think it, it tells us and it assures us if we have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, my identity is, is tethered to, tied to the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can say, I have been crucified with Christ, but I live. And the life I now live, I live to God. My friends, if you cannot say that, my invitation to you today is to die to the law. Die to trying to earn God's acceptance because he has already secured it for all of his own in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus. Without it, we have no hope, no hope of acceptance and no hope of new life. Uh, but in Christ, Lord, we are loved and accepted and we have a new life to live to you. As we come to the table today, Lord, help us to understand afresh your grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ and nourish us so that by faith we might more fully live our lives to the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.